Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Coming Soon, Part 2, Faith, recorded Sunday, December 5th, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Welcome to Third City. We're in this Advent series we're calling Coming Soon. You got that. And, and, and the reason that we're doing this is that it's just not easy for us to wait. And, and there are some things worth waiting for. I mean, it's not a normal posture for Americans to wait, to, to have faith, to, to trust that what God's doing is the right thing and that we can wait for it. I read that Amazon is spending billions of dollars to provide same-day service for deliveries, which would be amazing, by the way. But it made me wonder, other than a prescription medication, what in the world would I need from Amazon the same day? I mean, I got to get that five-gallon drum of olives today. Really? I mean, what else could it be? The things that I'm buying from Amazon that are simultaneously putting local businesses out of business, I don't think I need them that quickly. There's a big race on the part of cellular companies to go to 5G from 4G. Now, to be clear, me trying to explain this is about as ludicrous as a U.S. center explaining how we're going to decrease spending, okay? But I do, I had Taylor's help understanding this. I, I, I do understand that now that when we went from 3G to 4G, whatever that means, the speed of transmission increased 20 times. So that's pretty big. Going from 4G to 5G is a 500 times faster increase than 3G. So that seems big. And yet, when I'm streaming a movie and I have to get buffered for 10 seconds, I'm like, I can't believe it. 10 seconds to watch this movie. You know, we're so impatient, so impatient. I was driving home after one of Ezra's basketball games, he's my grandson, last week, and, and I hadn't had supper. So I thought, well, I'll just swing into Runza. No big deal. I get up to South Lucas Runza. There's like five cars in the drive-thru. I can't wait for that. I just kept going. So impatient. Last week, we started this series by looking into this long wait of the people of Israel for a Messiah to come. 400 years. So that's a lot of generations that came and went. That's a lot of time for the Old Testament and New Testament not to have any voices in between. There were no prophets at that time. All there was was this wait. Now, as Christians, we've been waiting for over 2,000 years for the second coming of Jesus, which will occur at some point. And that's a long wait. And, and I want to say, to wait well, it requires faith. Faith. If you were here last week, or maybe you know the story, a man named Zachariah was a priest who went into the temple in a very special sense to pray for the people of the nation. And while he was there, an angel named Gabriel gave him, a, gave him a promise that he and his wife Elizabeth would miraculously be able to have a child. Now, they were people of, of they were elderly people. They had not been able to have children. They thought that their time was long since passed for that blessing to occur. And so, you know, it was a challenge for Zachariah to even believe it, as you can understand. But they, they indeed did have a child. His name is John. The word, the, the name John, we talked about this last week, means God has shown favor. 
And they waited, and, and in their old age, the promise was fulfilled. It takes faith to wait. It takes faith to wait for God to do his thing. And it's almost always different than our thing. It was true for them. It's true for us. It takes faith for parents in our day and age to raise children with moral values because we are being inundated by lifestyles that are anything, else, anything but moral and a culture that assaults Christ-centric decision-making lifestyles. It takes faith for a young man, a young woman to wait for another person of faith to build their life with and not to jump ahead of God when it comes to making that decision. It takes faith to honor God and to wait until marriage to be intimate with a person or to have a child. Do you love waiting? To be honest, I don't. You get tired of hearing people say, it's coming soon, just be patient. But the basic question that God is asking during times of Advent, when the coming doesn't seem so soon, is this. The question is, he's asking us, do you trust me? Trust is another word for faith. God wants to know, do you believe I will come through for you? And not just in the big things like, you know, sending a Messiah in, the, in that period of time or Jesus returning someday in the future, which will happen in, in, in his time frame. But it's even in the smaller things like, you know, trusting God that he'll bring the right person in your life for the rest of your life. Or trusting God that he'll, he'll bring healing or hope to someone who's suffering in your, that you love and that, that you're concerned about. Or, you know, trusting that God will, will do, you know, things in your life that will make you uh, happier and, and more self-actualized, stuff like that. God has not just asked me to trust him in a few things. God wants to know, will I trust him in all things, with good things and with bad things in my life, with good breaks and bad breaks, with good people and not so good people. With what has happened in the past in my life, what is currently happening and what will happen, will I trust him? That is faith. And that is a lifelong challenge. Waiting in faith develops your faith. When you wait with God's help, it develops your faith. John the Baptist is a model for that, his whole life. Now, you may know who he was historically. He is called John the Baptist because, ta-da, he baptized a lot of people. That's why they called him that. He, he, people would come to him in the wilderness where this, there was a river with enough water to baptize people because, like us, he immersed people in water. And, and they would come, and they would hear him preach, and they would be baptized. Here's how Mark describes him in chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Messenger being John, your is Jesus. I will send my messenger John ahead of you who prepare the way of Jesus. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness 
preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. So, by the way, when we baptize here at Third City, we call adult people who are people who are old enough to make their own decision to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That isn't different. What is different is what happens because Jesus is now in it. When John baptized people before Jesus, it was a baptism of repentance. When Jesus entered into your baptism, it's a baptism of grace and of the Holy Spirit entering into your life. A God who, who died on a cross to save you. A God who took your sins to that cross. We believe that he rose from the dead so we can too. When I was baptized, I was saying this observable, physically interactive sinner's prayer, so to speak, making a public testimony to the grace of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives through Jesus. Now, John the Baptist was very interesting. He had a miraculous birth, as we've already established, and uh, he was, he was uh, the angel who talked to his father, Zachariah, said, now John will be great. He made that prophecy, and he was great. As a matter of fact, Jesus said he was the greatest man who ever lived in the world prior to his coming. It says this, verse 11 of chapter 11 in Mark, Jesus saying this, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So, he says the least person after John who comes to faith is considered greater than he, even though he was the greatest man who ever lived before that. What does that mean? That means when you trust Jesus, when you have faith in God and Christ, you can be certain of something that those who came before Jesus could not be certain of. You know that your sins are forgiven. They didn't know that. You know that you can be freed from the bondage of sin. They didn't know that. You know that your death has been defeated because Jesus rose from the dead. They didn't know that. You know that God's spirit lives in you to help you to make you right with God. They didn't know that. You can point specifically to Jesus so that others can be saved. All of this is brought about by Jesus and acquired by your personal faith in God. Now, John was a courageous man. As a matter of fact, he called the king of the nation out for his immorality. His name was Herod. It takes courage to call out a national leader and to call them into account. Powerful people don't necessarily like that. And if they're immoral, they will use their power to discredit you, to challenge you back. And they'll use power to do it. John the Baptist called out the king it cost him his life. Now, why would he do that? Because he had faith in God. Because his trust in God was greater than his own personal safety. So, some things about faith. Number one, those who have faith in God trust God to do and to act. I mean, I don't know about you. I admire people who get things done. I admire people who will step forward and take on a challenge and put themselves into the effort. And, you know, I think that's a good thing. But, but where we can get confused and messed up 
is when we think we got to step over the God line. Like we got to actually step in and be God. We got to take matters into our own hands in the God realm. I mean, do you know anybody like that? Have you looked in the mirror this morning? Because we all do it at some point. We are impatient and we get to not trusting God's timetable in our life. That is called, by the way, the works of the flesh. That's what the scripture calls it. That's when I say, God, if you're not going to do this, I will take over works of the flesh. What we see in John the Baptist is he waited for 30 years to do what God asked him to do. That's a lot of waiting. Look at what it says in John chapter 1. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. This happened when Jesus was baptized and there was this physical phenomenon where the Holy Spirit came on Jesus' life. It was seen by others. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify this is God's chosen one. So John waited. He trusted God would make something happen. When he was called on, he responded to God. He acted. People were flocking to hear this man speak. They came from all over the region. They wanted to hear his words. He was agitating the religious leaders. He had a growing following. Many people thought he was the Messiah and would have gladly marched him into Jerusalem to take control under his leadership, but he squelched that talk. He said in another place, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. He knew what his mission was. He didn't preempt God, and he waited for the right time to serve God in the way that God chose him to serve him. He waited for the Holy Spirit's sign. What does God want from me? I will do it. Waiting for God to act, that's called faith. And if we truly want a God-blessed life, we need to trust God. We need to let him be God and, and we follow. You know, I, I was thinking about this this week in context with our church. Now, our church is, I don't know, over 50 years old now. Um, it was started back in the late 60s by a small group of people who just simply heard God in so many words say, we need there to be a church in this community that opens up the scriptures, that, that follows the New Testament principles for discipleship. And so they just responded. They, they met in homes. They, they prayed together. And, and when the time was ready, they, they started a church. And then God grew that church because they didn't preempt God. They just followed a direction from God. I was in the room in 1995. I wasn't there for that. But I was here in 1995 when a few elders and, and I prayed for a vision for the future of this church. And, and that was a really, it was one of the most powerful moments of my ministry career, I will tell you. Because we all left that room where we were praying with a Holy Spirit emboldened desire and, and drive to follow God's will and grow a church. And so we responded to that prayer, and he responded to that prayer, and the results, at least in my 
mind have become greater than anything I could have ever imagined. Again, not our brilliance. We didn't have some grand plan. We just heard God speak and we said, okay, we'll act. When we moved to this location from O'Flanagan Street, which is over north somewhere, some of you know where that is, many of you don't. Anyway, we had a church building over there. It was too small. We were growing. And so we had to find another place to go. And we, we thought we knew where God wanted us to be. And we had negotiated for a small piece of property for about a year. And we thought we were down to the close of that. And then the bottom line is it didn't work out. And so it put us back to square one. Now, we could have doubted God or we could have just did what we did, which is just say, God, what do you, you must have something else for us. And so with some patience, he gave us this property. And I will tell you that because we waited, when we actually went to pay for this property, it was paid for. Now, that wouldn't happen except that God was in it and we acted on God's will. We weren't looking to do a church work in Custer County where broken, you know, where broken bow is. But when Chad Hackle inquired about Third City doing a work there, we were willing to listen. However, we weren't ready to act until we knew that God was leading us. And after a process of listening and praying, and we felt like it was the right thing to do. And I think God's blessed that because we followed him. All of these situations where the Lord spoke, we waited, and the best outcome prevailed. And I will tell you, that is how we should live our lives. That's not just about a church, it's about a person. And, and, and this church most clearly succeeds when we have faith in God and we let him lead us. This is true with you too. If you want a God-blessed future, you need to let God lead you and then you respond to that leadership. Sometimes that means waiting, sometimes that means stepping forth. But no matter what, God has to be behind it or else you'll be struggling all the way through. And you'll make mistakes you don't need to make. Now here's another thing about faith. Those who have faith in God, we are aware of our own limitations. In other words, you know who you are and you know who you're not. Now John, he had a bold message to the masses. And I think in America, especially right now, I think there's a hunger for people to hear truth and to respond to truth. And I think we want to build our lives on something more solid than what we've been used to over the last several decades. I think we're looking for something real, something that's out of the spin zone. People are tired of mixed messages. People are tired of political rhetoric and revisionist tactics and manipulating forces trying to control us. People are tired of experts who supposedly know more about we, more than we do about how to raise our families, how to operate in a world that's always been risky. And so I think that that was true then too. As a matter of fact, look at Luke chapter 3. Here's John speaking to crowds of people coming out to be baptized in him. He said, here's how he opened his message to them. You brood of vipers. Now just stop for a minute. I did think about, you know, opening the sermon today and just saying, welcome to Third City Christian Church, you bunch of snakes. But I thought, well, that's pretty rough. That's what he did. Okay, I'm just showing it. He shows, he is like facial with them and he said, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And then he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
So he was right on with these people. Like he's saying, you're here and you want what I got? You got to look at yourself. What brought you here? Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, hey, we're religious. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's a hard, truthful message. Now, this is before Jesus. This is before Jesus' work on the cross. This is before grace. This is before mercy takes over. This is just the reality of what sin was doing to the world and what it was doing to the people in the world. Okay? So just understand, he spoke that message, but the crowds came, and they listened, and they wanted the truth, and they didn't really care if it was hard or it was easy. They just listened, and they tried to understand because they needed what we need, what our culture needs. They needed God, and they were willing to come to that place to find him. People want to build their lives and their families on something that's true and that will last the test of time, that will last for eternity. And when, they, when he spoke, they came. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 12, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than you're required to. Then some soldiers came and said, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And he became so popular that they wanted to, they wanted to crown him Messiah, politicize his message, march him into Jerusalem, and take the whole country over. John 1 says this. Now, this is verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now, this is when he could have said, I'm your answer. Follow me. He did not fail to confess. He confessed freely. I'm not the Messiah. He knew who he was. And he knew who he wasn't. And he was humble. And people responded to that message. One of the secrets to waiting well, to trusting God, is to understand who you are. So when they asked him, who are you? He said this. I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Now, I think that might be a good thing for us to tuck in the recesses of our hearts and on the tip of our tongue at times. So, you know, when we think we need to take matters into our own hands, let's have this ready to go. I am not the Christ. Don't confuse who you are with who Jesus needs to be in your life. Maybe you have children, adult children, who are hurting themselves and maybe even your grandkids because they're being kind of stupid, okay? Or they're not following God themselves or whatever. There is probably a point where you just have to back off and say, you can say it with me, ready? I am not the Christ. 
Apparently, you need to rehearse this. Let's do it again. I am not the Christ. You want a loved one to know the hope you found in Christ. And so you're just always scheming. If I just said this, maybe they'd listen to this preacher's sermons because they didn't like that one that I sent them. If they would just read this little note I put under their pillow, they'd just watch this movie series. Ready? Let's say it together. I am not the Christ. I'm not anyone's Savior, neither are you. There is a Savior. It's not me. It's not you. I need to fix this. I need to bring justice to this. I need to correct the injustices of this. I need to overcome the political fallacies that are ruining our world. I need to rebuild a social construct. Ready? I am not the Christ. How freeing it is to recognize my role and to operate appropriately. I can pray. I can shine some light when it's warranted. I can live by faith, and my example can make a difference. I can encourage people. I can love them thoroughly. I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. Let's say it. I am not the Christ. People who wait well, people who know what they aren't and what they are, they know their limitations, they shine for Christ. I'm going to come back after we commune and just finish this thought up. Lord, as we come into this moment of our service, one that we, that we enter in weekly, there's a lot of great things that can happen in this small window of time. One is a thing that we should always be considering as human beings in this fallen world and with our fallen lives, we come to you and repent again. God, this is what sin is doing in my life and what it's doing to me and what I'm doing because of it. I repent and I trust you to take it away. And, and it's this moment again in our service where, Lord, we get to come to you and freely admit with great hope, I'm not the Christ, but I know who is. I bring my life before you, the Christ, the Son of God, and I find hope and help. I find healing. I find grace because you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to read to you in one more scripture. It's John chapter 3. John says, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And his joy is full when he hears that the bridegroom's he, when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. I must become greater. Excuse me. He must become greater. I must become less. Listen, the narcissist believes that you are the groom or that you're the bride, that you're the star 
that when the camera is on, you should be in the center of the frame. That when there's a decision to be made, your voice should be the one that should be heard the most. That, that you know, you just got to win, baby. John was no narcissist. He knew he had a role. His role was to assist the groom. To be the one who makes the groom famous. He was willing to take the role of the bridesmaid or the groomsman and understand that he wasn't the center of the show. He understood his role was to shine a spotlight on Jesus in his life and the circumstances that surrounded his life. I was thinking about it this week in this context. Maybe you've already heard some of this in my sermon, but let's just say you're in one of those long drive-through lines at the fast food restaurant, and you're starting to get agitated because the wait is longer than you'd like, and you're watching people ahead of you do things like fumble around, and why didn't they have their money ready when they got there, and, and, and you know, why did they, they already ordered back there, are they getting something else, you know, and, and you're right behind this guy in a big blue truck with a Love Unlimited sticker on his window, and you're thinking, is that my preacher up there? I mean, what is going on here? And your mind starts going to the selfish place. What is wrong with that guy? And, 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 and here's what we can kind of do, okay? And let's just be honest. We can think, don't people know how important my time is? Don't they realize that I've got stuff to do? Why? And we get, we get like we think it's about us. So what if you took this approach? What, well, Lord, here I am in this line, and there's my slow preacher in front of me. And, and let me first of all thank you that I'm about to eat a delicious runza and some frings and that you have provided for me the ability to buy those things. And, and Lord, that, that guy in front of me, whether it's my preacher or not, Lord, could you just bless that guy? Because I don't know what he's going through in life. He might be fine, but maybe he's not. Just shout a blessing out to him somehow. And I won't nudge him with my bumper today. I'll wait till next week if I'm still. Why not take a pause in your incredibly self-fulfilling, busy day to shine the light on Christ? It's not that hard to do. Let's say you're in the grocery store, another line, and someone's struggling at the checkout, and, you know, they're looking for the right change, or maybe they are putting stuff back in the cart because they don't have the resources. I don't know what's going on. You can be all so self-important with it. You can huff over to this shorter line and, and make a big deal about it. Or maybe you can just say, I'm going to shine a light here. And I don't know, crazy thought, if you have the resources. Maybe you just step up and say, would you mind if I paid for your groceries today? You may not be able to do that. But you can do other things. You can de-escalate the tension around you by having some chitter-chatter with the people in the line and wishing them a Merry Christmas. It's a small town. You probably know somebody. Be the, the groomsman. Be the bridesmaid. And let the groom shine. Are you content with being in that role? Are you, are you content with living in this attitude? You know what? 
I'm just loose change in the pockets of Jesus. And I'll just let him use me wherever he needs to. Because that's really who John the Baptist was in the end. He was there to assist the coming of Jesus. And he was willing to wait for his role to unfold. So as you go today, let's go in the spirit of John. Let's go in the spirit of those who shine the light on Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.